Hi, guys. Gals? Why would I say guys? Are there even any guys in here? <laughs> okay. Um, my name is Felicia Stevens, and um, I'm a member of the worship team up here for about 16 years now, and I'm a mom of four, and uh, I'm a teacher by trade, so if I come across as a teacher tonight, that is the reason. I'm just envisioning that this is a group of about 120 kids that I'm just delivering a message to, right, a lecture instead of a message. Um, so we're going to talk about worship tonight, and you might think, okay, I get it. You're the worship person. You stand right there couple Sundays out of the month and you sing you sing to Jesus. So you're probably going to talk about music in regards to worship. I want to clarify something very early on. We are going to do some music and we're going to kind of have a little process for what we're going to do tonight, but I'm not going to be talking about worship in reference to music like as in what we did just now, okay? So we're going to approach it from a different angle. We're going to answer a couple questions. And so, again, the teacher in me says, okay, we have to start off with what Webster would define as uh, worship, correct? So Webster defines worship as a verb, and that action is to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion to an object of esteem. So picture an object. Maybe you have like a favorite necklace that's from your grandmother, something like that. Whatever that is, it could be a thing. It could be a person. Obviously, you probably know where I'm going to be going with this when we're talking about worship. But whatever that is, you are going to regard that thing or that person with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. Synonyms or words that are very close in uh, meaning to worship would be to glorify, to reverence, to idolize, to look up to, to admire, to cherish, to treasure, to exalt. And this one's my favorite to adore, which implies love and personal attachment. I love that one. So in essence, when we're talking about worship, it's the ability, because it's a verb, to see the worth in something. So as we talk about this tonight, I'm going to use two words kind of interchangeably. One of them is going to be worship, and the other one is going to be worth-ship. Are we good with that? They're going to be interchangeable. So let me ask you this question. What is our most valuable commodity? in this life. I'll give you just a second. Things that are irreplaceable. Might be a person. People would come to mind, right? Maybe a person that's very important or treasured to you. But again, I'm a teacher, so I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but can anybody guess what probably the most greatest commodity would be? Guess? Spouse. Person is established. Anything else? With, say, say again, time. Thank you. Would we all agree that time is something that we can never get back? The first two minutes that I've already done, I can never get that back. Agree? So let's agree tonight as we proceed that time is one of our greatest commodities. So we're going to talk about this tonight. We can kind of agree that what we give our time to establishes worthship in our lives. So the title of this message is very simple. It's Jesus Worthy of Worship. The Bible is full of references to the word worship. Each of the four Gospels mentions worship, and some more than others. But the first mention of worship in the New Testament is during the story of the birth of Jesus. And so our reading tonight is going to start there. So we're going to pray, and then we'll move on through the service. So Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this space tonight. 
I thank you that these ladies, they could be doing anything. And they're already taking the first step in establishing worship tonight. They're here. And so, Lord, I pray that we communicate effectively. And, Lord, that when we walk away tonight, that there would be something that we take away that changes our hearts when this night is finished. Bless this time together. Amen. If you, okay. Every great message has to have something funny, right? I'm not a naturally funny person. My husband is. But I found a meme, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> Doug, you can put up the meme. <laughs> so we're going to talk about this in a moment. I don't know if you've ever experienced this as a mom or as a wife. <laughs> Here's Mary, like, 10 months pregnant. Yeah, you see this, right? I'm sorry, babe. I should have called and I should have made reservations in this. I would like to caption this the first original Silent Night. Okay, this is how Silent Night began. So I was going to show that in the middle of the scripture, and I thought it not might not be the great time <laughs> to do scripture and then do that one. But we're going to start with the birth of Jesus. Um, I was raised in church most of my life, and so I've heard the account of Jesus's birth many, many times. And for whatever reason in my mind, I thought, okay, New Testament, it starts with his birth. The story of his birth is in Matthew. It's not, <laughs> in case you don't know that. I didn't really even know until I became a mom, and I went to go look up these scriptures for myself, that it's not in Matthew. It's actually in Luke. And so everybody in here is either a mom, a grandmother, or probably a future mom. And so we're going to read through the account of Jesus's birth. It's in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And we're going to go through most of it. Um, because we're going to reference a lot of these during the message tonight. And also, too, just so you can hear it. So Christmas is, I don't know what's today, the 10th. Christmas is 15 days away. And so if the only takeaway that you get from tonight, hopefully it will be more, but is that you know that the birth of Jesus, is, the story of Jesus' birth is in Luke 2, and you take time on Christmas Day to recount that. That is going to be beautiful. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while, we'll call him Q, was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also, in the meme, went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged, excuse me, to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That's where I was going to put the meme. You see why I did it early. <laughs> and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, I lost my place. Hold on just a second. Do not be afraid. I give you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Did we not just sing about that? When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. 
When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So we're going to answer a couple questions tonight about worship, who, what, where, when, why, how. Maybe not all of those. We're going to touch on them just a bit. So the first question that we're going to answer together, uh, according, we're going to pull from the word, is who is called to worship? So we just recounted the story of Jesus and how the angels appeared to a group first, the shepherds. So the shepherds, it says that they were outside in the, you know, they were watching their flocks. This was not in the middle of the city, in the hustle and bustle. These were grown men who spent a lot of time with animals, okay? They probably didn't smell good, (laughs) right? They were not highly regarded in society. They're outside of the city. Um, If you want to put it like this, they probably were a little bit low on the totem pole when it comes to socialization. You know what I mean? Like they were not highly regarded people. And so I I really don't think I've ever noticed this when I've read the story of uh, Jesus' birth before. But I find it so poignant that the king of the universe could have called anybody first. And who did he call? The common. There was another group. Matthew 2, verse 1 and 2. Now we're talking about Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi, or wise men, you've probably heard that, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I'm going to pause for just a second. We're going to continue on just a moment. But so here's the stage. You have these really... Some people may not have heard of the word Magi. Wise men is the the, the word that's most commonly used. Wise men. (laughs) These were wise men. They were esteemed. We'll find out in just a minute. They were very wealthy. Okay. So they saw a star and they followed it into the town and they were asking. And they said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. So their motive was to worship. So in essence, Seeing the star was a call to worship. They knew their mission on that night. They were not going to just find like the greatest restaurant, right? They were following the star so that they could worship the king of the Jews. Jump to verse 10. So this is a little bit later. So they saw the star and they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So let's look at the wise men for just a minute. These wise men, again, like I said, would have been very wise, very, very educated people. They would have been wealthy. I'm sorry, but if you have gold to give to a newborn baby, you are loaded. Okay, these are are very rich people. And so also, too, let's think of the prestige. Um, One neighborhood in town came to mind, but there's one neighborhood that, like, if you live in that neighborhood, right, like everybody knows that that's the neighborhood, like you don't, it's upper class. <laughs> I'm trying to be gracious and not be awkward, but y'all understand what I'm saying. So these were not shepherds, were they? 
these were highly regarded, like people probably thought, oh, they think that they're better than everybody else. These were the elite, right? This was the second group, not the first. Who does God call to worship? He calls the uncommon and the common. He calls the elite and the not-so-elite. He calls the wealthy and not-so-wealthy. In any sliding scale in between any of those things that I just described, our names could be inserted there. Agreed? So I love that. The king of heaven, king of the universe, first comes to the most common people and says, hey, come worship. And then he goes to the ones that everybody thought was awesome and says, hey, you, you come worship too. So who is called to worship? We're all called to worship. Um, so second question that we are going to answer is, why do we worship? And you may say, okay, Felicia, you stand up on the stage all the time and you declare his worthiness, his goodness, all of this stuff. We worship because he's worthy. I would say that as far as our purposes tonight, that kind of goes without saying we worship because he's worthy. But there was something that I saw in the text as I was preparing and I thought, man, gosh, I'm, you know, in my fourth decade of life now, I've heard the story many times and I've never pondered this thought. And this is where we're going to camp out for a few minutes, y'all. This is just, this is so revelatory and so, so good. Worship and worship is a weapon. And I'm not talking about singing. We're going to discuss this. Let's recount uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to kind of read it again. I know we just read it, but after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jer Jerusalem and said, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. Again, let me pause for just a moment. The wise men, let me set the stage. The wise men come into the city and they're just asking, like, Somebody would come here and say, hey, where's the best restaurant, right? They came into the town and just started asking lay people, hey, where is this king uh, that is supposed to be the king of the Jews? They were just kind of minding their business but asking questions. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So he hears this, and what was the word that the word uses? It says that he was disturbed. So what is his response? He called together the chief priests, probably his version of the wise men, right? He calls them, and he goes, hey, wait, 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 what's going on here? Let's jump to verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi, or the wise men, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, too, may go and worship him. Well, we know from the story, no, no, no. Herod was acting like a woman in this moment. He's lying through his teeth, and he has no intent on ever going to worship this king. So this is, again, I want to set the stage. So it says, here it is in the Word, and again, these are things I never noticed, that Herod called the Magi, or the wise men, secretly. He didn't do it, in the, and he probably called them in at night. He didn't want his chief priest knowing that he was still worried about this stuff, and so he called in the ones that he thought had the answers, because his people did not. Right? So it says that he called them in secretly and gleaned the information the exact time the star had appeared. We're going to find out in a moment why that was so important. So again, he says, 
please go and find him. And then when you finish, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him. Okay, no, no, no. So we're going to pause for a second. Herod knew that worship is a weapon. Herod knew that as long as he was king, not whoever this king was that the Magi were talking about, but as long as he was king, he was revered, esteemed, idolized, and as long as he had worship, he would remain in power. So the story continues, and I'm going to, it kind of skips over, we're going to resume in verse 16. But again, what happens is, um, because I'm omitting it, the Magi, the wise men, after they talk to Herod, they see the star, they keep following the star. We kind of read it earlier. They find Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all of these things. And then they have a dream. And in the dream, they realize that Herod's motives are not good. And so they join together and say, hey, we're not doing this. We are not going to go back to see Herod. We're just going to go on our way. Because remember, they were not from Jerusalem and Bethlehem. They were from far away. They were from the east, if my mind remembers correctly. So they traveled to that place for that purpose. So when the purpose... Okay, when the purpose was done, I know better than that. I'm probably holding it down here. <laughs> I care a women's retreat. Their purpose was done, so they went back home. They did not report back to Herod. So Herod finds out, and this is where we're going to pick up. Matthew 2, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was, what does it say? Furious. Why would he be so mad about somebody that he talked to for five minutes and, like, they just moved on with their lives? going to talk about it. And he, in response, gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Herod wanted to be worshipped. And he was threatened by the coming Messiah. And he was so focused on being worshipped or retaining his worship that he ordered every single child, a boy, not the girls. You see what he did? He wanted it all for himself. An entire generation of boys annihilated because Herod knew the value of worship. There is another prince the Bible talks about that fully understands the power of worship and worship. We're going to jump to Luke chapter 4, verse 5. Set the stage for just a second again. This is Jesus. He's fully grown. He's not a baby anymore. And he is in really the, uh, the, the thrivingness, if that's even a word, of his ministry. And Satan has led him up to um, a mountain, and he's tempting Jesus. And so we're going to pick up in verse 5. Excuse me, not verse 5. Uh, yeah, verse 5. It says the devil led him up, Jesus, up to a high place and showed him, Jesus, in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus comes back, as Dixie would say, where's Dixie? Throw in some shade. <laughs> It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him. What? Only. Sometimes. Share it with somebody. No. The word combats with the word. Okay? So, again, let me say, I love to paint a picture. It's a teacher in me. Here you have the earthly, like the spiritual Herod, 
You understand? Herod would, and I forgot to say this, Herod would have been the most powerful man probably in the entire area, the whole world. He had nothing to be afraid of, but he was intimidated by this coming king. So here is this, the prince and king of this world, who has validly been given the authority. He was not lying when he said, all this has been given to me. When he was cast out of heaven, all of this was his, right? This realm, I'm sorry to say it, but this world we live in, this is his domain. He is the prince of the waves of the air. Okay, this is his domain until Jesus comes back, which, yay. <laughs> but until then, he is totally, say, he's, I'm not saying he's speaking truth, but he says, I can give it to anyone I want to. God had given it to him, but you have to worship me. So here's the thing. The devil himself wanted to be worshipped, offering the whole world, the entire kingdom that he had, essentially everything that he owns, he offered it to Jesus for what? One word, what is it? For worship. The enemy of our souls knows the power of worship and establishing worship with people or with things in our lives. So now that we've kind of talked about how Herod knew that worship was a weapon in the story of Jesus, the enemy of our souls know that worship is a, knows that worship is a weapon, let's look at our current present-day setup of worship in our lives. Earlier, we agreed that time was our greatest commodity. So can we agree, kind of spoke on it earlier, that what we spend our time on, in essence, establishes worship in our lives? So what are we using our weapon for? I'm not preaching at you. I am totally, like if I could import myself right onto that pew and hear this word, it's for me too. So let's be honest for a moment, y'all. If I'm being honest, I'm guilty of using my weapon on my phone. I'm just being honest. The worship leader, right, someone who loves to worship is guilty of worshiping, in essence, my phone sometimes. And a friend brought this up the other day, and I was like, oh, I've got to use that in this message because, unfortunately, it's super true. Have you ever noticed, like, let me use my iPad as a big phone. What do we do with our phones? Am I the only one that does this? Does anybody do this? <laughs> no, it's like we run into things, right? We're just not watching where we're going. What are we doing when we do this? What does the Bible say? Where does he say we're supposed to look? Man, I don't think it's on purpose. I don't think it's an accident, excuse me, that the thing, at least for me, that captures my attention is the thing that makes me look down to this domain instead of the one. Right? And I'm preaching myself here. I was on Facebook last night. I should have been studying. <laughs> okay, so the word says that we look up to the mountains from whence cometh our help. we got to get our eyes up. and We need to realize that worship is a weapon. So this is going to be a little strong word. I'm not super sassy, but this will be a little sassy moment in the night. If we are not giving our weapon or worship to the one who truly deserves it, we can kind of agree that our worship is probably being used against us by the enemy. So before our time is done this evening, we still have a few more minutes. We're going to take a moment and address and correct this concept in our lives. So let's answer a couple more questions. So when do we worship? The story of Jesus, we've already established, it begins, like, really even before he's born, or the same within a few minutes that he's born. Holy Spirit, in the form of an angel, all this stuff calls people to worship 
baby Jesus. So we've already established that. I'm not going to go through all tons of scriptures because I spent a lot of time on the worship as a weapon part, but I'm going to give a list of times where Jesus was worshipped. So at his birth, there was worship. And again, these are all scripturally based, uh, made like a, you know, looked up the word worship, and it's in there in some way, shape, or form. When he was performing his miracles when he was of age in his 30s, people's response to the miracles was worship. Before his death, many of us are, are uh, familiar with his story. Mary gets at Jesus' feet, and she breaks the very, very expensive perfume and dries his feet with her hair in an ultimate form of worship. Before his, um, he goes to the cross, you may remember this. I kind of forgot about it until I found it in the list. When he's in his procession, the great procession into Jerusalem, before he goes to the cross, when they're waving palm branches, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they are worshiping. He goes to the cross, the most beautiful part of the story, but not the end of the story. In his resurrection, it says when they see him, they're not only excited, but their response was, I'm going to take a guess, worship. When they see him ascend into heaven and they see it with their own eyes, they're in awe. But again, the Bible counts it and says that their response was worship. And Cassie just mentioned it earlier. We know that even after he ascended to the Father, right now as we speak and will continue from now until eternity, that the angels around the throne, what are they doing? Worship. From his beginning to his end, he is worthy of worship. Right? Revelation, most people know that that's the final chapter of the Bible. Revelation chapters 1 through 3 are letters from John to the churches, and then the rest are the visions that he sees and such um, that the angel shows him. But almost every single chapter after chapter 3 either mentions the word worship or the concept of worship. It mentions not only Jesus being worshipped, but those, this is how I wrote it down, those worshiping the bad guys as well. <laughs> it talks about worshiping the Antichrist. It talks about worshiping things that maybe aren't the Antichrist, but they're not Jesus either. That gray area, the end of the book addresses what we worship. Okay? And finally, in... um the last chapter of the book of Revelation, after, let me make sure I'm saying the right name, after John has seen this huge vision, his hands are on fire, he's documenting all this stuff, he's like, he falls down, and he's like overwhelmed, and he begins to worship, and the angel is standing there and says, no, 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 get up, do not worship me. In the NIV, I'm pretty sure, it says two words, the angel says, get up, do not worship me, it says, worship God. And about 10 verses later, the story's done and the book is done. Okay? From his beginning until now, forevermore. When are we supposed to worship? All the time. Psalm 113.3 says, From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. To put it plainly, from the time the sun comes up to the time that goes down, Every single moment in between, the Bible says that that is when his name is to be praised. So when do we worship? All the time. This is what I wrote. In the crazy, in the mundane, all the time, he is worthy of our worship, our reverence, and our esteem. Next question, where do we worship? Okay, first thing, 
we're doing it right now. We did it earlier in the form of song. Okay, we can sow worship here, but you may or may not know this. The minute that you leave those doors, you can still do it out there too. And some of my best moments, if I'm being candid, are not here with a mic in my hand. I wish they happened more if I'm being transparent, but it's not here. It's in my car when my child starts singing a song like Battle Belongs. And I go, oh, God, man. It's okay to worship him and him and establish worship in the mundane. So where are we supposed to worship? In church, outside of church, in our home, in our car, anywhere. And why are we able to worship anywhere? Because the culmination of the Christmas story that started in a manger is at the cross. Where Jesus broke all barriers to him. And now we can boldly worship him anywhere and at any time. So again, if you're not sure, if you just know the beginning of the Christmas story, he was a baby. He grew up. He was a man. He went to the cross. He was resurrected. And he is alive. And he can forgive our sins. And that's why we can go to him anywhere. So the final thing that we're going to discuss is how do we worship? John 4.23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers Don't you want to be known as a true worshiper, like a true friend, true gold, true diamond, like true is good. (laughs) True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must, not should, must worship him in two things, in the spirit and in truth. So again, I'm kind of expounding upon how I, my interpretation of it. And so I wrote down spirit is from the inside out. It's like our insides from the deepest parts of us, okay, that we establish worship from the deepest parts of our souls that he has redeemed, right? That's great. But I don't know how many moments you have to do that in the middle of a week, especially in the middle of the Christmas season. It's It's not as much as I would want, right? So he gives us another option. It's not just in these deep, like, It's in truth, in the mundane, in the daily. So when you're washing your dishes, let's list some some examples. When you are washing dishes, even though you don't want to, you have a moment to establish worship to Jesus. When you're folding clothes, instead of listening to a podcast, I mean, podcasts are great, but you have a moment to be still and just talk to Jesus and establish worship. Again, y'all, if you spend as much time in your car as I do, carting kids around to and from work, doing all this stuff, we spend a lot of time in our car. Man, um, a friend of mine a couple months ago was, and again, I'm just being transparent. I was trying to tell her, I was like, I'm having trouble, like, I'm so busy during the day and I feel like there's just so much going on that when I get home, it's like the day is gone and I haven't really connected with Jesus. And she had this great idea. This is not part of my notes, but I'm going to share it because it it freed me so much. She said, you know, Felicia, you drive the same way to and from work every day, right? I said, yeah. She said, why don't you pick a point and whenever you get to that stop sign or that light, or if you live on Johnston like I do, those J-turns, pick a monument, right? And when you get to that point, Give Jesus from that point on, even if it's five minutes. You see, that's in the mundane. Turn off Caleb. You know what I mean? Just be still and just take, you know, I'm, t- I'm telling you two minutes. I've said this before. I've watched God, God do something so poignant in two minutes of stillness. 
that we say yes to. Then in an entire worship set, he wants our worship. He wants our worth-ship. So apply an example to your life. When are we worshiping and how do we worship? In the daily. Romans 12.1 gives us another option of uh, showing Jesus, basically establishing worship. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I'm going to go back. We've talked about the New Testament a lot tonight, and I'm going to kind of reference the Old Testament. One of the uh, words that stand out in the scripture to me is living sacrifice. If you know anything about history, I'm not a scholar on biblical things in, in terms of that stuff, but I know this. There's nothing living about sacrifices. There's nothing. In the Old Testament, it was a very brutal process where animals were brought. They were sacrificed on the altar for the purpose of the remission of sins. There was nothing beautiful about it except for the remission of sins. It was a very violent process. No one would look at that process and say, oh, that's a living sacrifice. What a beautiful living sacrifice. It was surrounded by death. So why in the New Testament does God call us to be a living sacrifice? Because we can't. Because he paid the way. Because we don't have to do that anymore. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And so he can rightfully so say, you know what? We're not dealing with dead sacrifices. No, no, no. Daily. In the mundane. When you're driving your car, how are you supposed to worship me? By presenting your bodies as not a dead sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. So to recap, tonight we've answered a couple of questions. We're not quite done. The teacher and me. And of course... We were gonna, we're gonna have some music in just a minute. We've answered a few questions. Who is called to worship is the first one. Everybody in this room, every girl. From the common to the uncommon. Why do we worship? He is worthy. It's the title of my message, right? But because after tonight, we understand that what we assign worship or worship to is a what? Weapon. It's my weapon. And I'm accountable for how I use my weapon. When do we worship? Anytime. Where do we worship? Everywhere. Thank you, Lord. I don't have to come to family life. I love it. <laughs> I love to sing to Jesus. But that's not, that's an hour out of my week. Right? And then finally, how do we worship? By offering our lives to God. So we're going to take a couple moments, and um, if you can bow your heads for just a moment, we're going to give the last few minutes, we're going to put this into practice. And so you may be here tonight, and you might say, Felicia, I have no clue. That's the first time I've ever even heard the story about Jesus' birth. I know nothing about this remission of sins, anything that you're talking about. I mean, I just came because my neighbor asked me to come. If you have a tugging on your heart right now that says that you're in the right place, but that something is still just a little bit lacking, that is the voice of the Holy Spirit saying that today is the day of salvation. And so I just want to give a moment that if there's any lady in here, like Cassie said earlier, from sixth grade all the way through the most beautiful, you know, ladies, seasoned veterans, that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to give you a moment tonight to be able to do that. And so no one's looking around or anything like that. If you, if that's you and you say, you know what, tonight I'm just going to admit that I don't know anything about this Jesus that you're talking about worshiping and I want to know him, would you just raise your hand, please, if there's anybody 
I'll wait just one more moment. Okay. You guys, gals, I keep saying guys, y'all can um, look up at me. Safe to say, nobody responded. So this is so great. Everybody in the room has already experienced that gift of salvation that came in the form of a manger. So we're going to put this into practice. And of course, I didn't talk about music, but I can't leave without doing something with song because I love songs. So for the last few minutes, I want to be super clear and give you all some directions. This is kind of like an experiential kind of thing. We're going to take about 10 minutes more, y'all. And we're we're going to um, give that space and put it into practice and give God our worship for about 10 minutes. And so in this time, I don't want um, anyone necessarily walking around. This is not a time like to, you know, kind of move on. And uh, we're going to get to the, the goodies in just a moment. But I assure you the goodies, <laughs> the best part is what we're about to do. I promise. So I have a song that just so stirs my heart. And I'm going to ask you, you don't, this is not something you're going to sing to that you're going to stand or anything like that, but we're going to have a still moment and just kind of contemplate the words of this song that I'm going to have them play in just a moment. The first uh, few minutes, it's instrumental. There's no words. It's very orchestral. It sounds like a symphony. It's a beautiful, beautifully written song. Okay. It's about two minutes long. I want you to use those moments. Just, I like to just kind of sit back a little bit, you know, pop my head on the pew behind me and just be still close your eyes and just ask the Holy Spirit to just speak to you in that moment and prepare you for the words that will be starting just a few minutes later and about uh, two minutes into the song so the song I'll just kind of give you a little background the song explores Mary after the angel has um, appeared to her and it talks about her response and it's hey you're gonna have this great birth and you know I'm telling her the news of the great birth and so it documents Mary's response to that moment and so when the song is done again please don't move around we're gonna take a few moments to reestablish his worship in our lives so um, if you can get rid get it ready Doug so I want you once the music starts Listen to Mary's response, which will also be our response by the end of the night. You can relax, close your eyes, Doug, you can start it.
inside me cries for order Everything inside me wants to hide Is this shadow an angel or a warrior? If God is pleased with me, why am I so terrified? Someone tell me I'm only dreaming Somehow help me see with heaven's eyes And before my head agrees My heart is on its knees Holy is He Blessed am I
please, if you can just be still, you don't have to stand. Let's just go with that moment. I love those lyrics. I'll hold you. He's, she's saying as a mama, I'll hold you in the beginning. You will hold me in the end. But every moment in the middle, make my heart your Bethlehem. If you're like me, I just want to pause for just a moment and just be honest with myself and realize that those are not always the words or the posture of my heart. And so if you, nothing needs to be said aloud, but I feel like we need to have a moment, not this huge thing, but that in our hearts that we just repent for letting things that are not worthy of worship and worthy of our time take precedence over the one who is. So just in your own words, it's not out loud, just, Lord, I'm sorry. Haven't been that great about establishing worship in my life with you. And then the next set of lyrics that I love say, I'm not brave, I'll never be. The only thing that my heart can offer is a vacancy. I'm just a girl, nothing more, but I am willing, and I am yours. So can we, in our own way, just tell him that? I'm just a girl. Nothing fancy. But I am willing. And I acknowledge, 15 days before Christmas, that I want to change the pattern. And just give him permission. Just put him in that place. You're the only one that can do it. He won't take it. Just put him back up there, ladies, in that rightful place, just in your own heart. You're not making a promise you can't keep. You're just saying, Lord, I acknowledge, and I'm going to do better. I'm going to create some space, and I'm going to show you in the mundane that you are worthy of worship. So we're just going to sing a simple little song in response. We're going to sing three little versions of it. You want to sing with me? You don't have to stand. Oh, come, let us adore Oh, come, let us of my worship. You're worthy of my worship. You're worthy of my worship. You're worthy of my worship. Christ. Hello.